You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit theheightsdenver.com. Uh, very glad to be with you this morning. Two things before we dive into our Bible teaching. Number one, tonight is our uh, member night, and at f- from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., uh, we're going to get together. We're going to celebrate everything God has done in the last six months, look forward to the next six months, and if you are a member or member in process, you need to be here. Uh, it's going to be a fun night. Uh, we're going to celebrate. We're going to sing. We're going to seek God together uh, for about an hour and a half, and then for the last hour and a half, we're going to eat tacos, Okay. And uh, I'm just going to say this, uh, they are, I don't know the name of the place, but all I know is that they are Tacos by Erica, which is all you need to know. And they're amazing tacos. Uh, so we're going to have that catered. Uh, that's today, 4 to 7 p.m. Please be here. We only do this twice a year. The second thing is, last week we kicked off our Luke 1102 prayer campaign, uh, which last week whenever you came in, you got one of these that looks like an elementary school Valentine's Day card. Uh, and uh, we're just going, man, we believe God loves our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers who are close to us but far from him. And we believe God is sending us to invite them into life with him. And the question I wanna ask this morning is who are you inviting to Alpha? On September 11th, uh, we're gonna be kicking off the Alpha course right over here two blocks away at Brew, uh, uh, Brews on the Facts, which is a, uh, a little brewery right over here. Uh, and Alpha is a really easy way to explore faith in Jesus. And so what I wanna encourage you to do is start praying for it. Start praying praying for somebody that you want to invite into Alpha on September 11th. Last week, we filled out this card, and we just committed to pray Luke 1102, that the kingdom of God would come in the lives of three friends that are close to us but far from God. So this week, I've, been, I've had my three friends right up here. None of you can read their names because your name might be in there. You never know. And uh, I'm just kidding. None of your names are in there. Uh, my three friends in here, I've been praying Luke 1102 that the kingdom would come. I've been praying that every day for them. Uh, just believing that God loves people that are not in this room yet. So uh, who are you inviting? Invite somebody. Uh, the second thing I would say is if you're in the room and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I just want to say this, man, we're really glad you're here. I know church can be a really intimidating environment to step into and Alpha might be for you. Alpha might be for you. And so if you want more information uh, on Alpha, you can head to alphadenver.com right down here on the bottom of the screen. We own that website. We run that website. It's got all of the info for our Alpha course that we're running, how you can get plugged in, questions that you might have, and uh, you can register right there on that. So that's Alpha. Who are you inviting? If you don't follow Jesus, you should be here. Okay, you should come to Alpha. It's going to be a fun time. Let me pray for that, uh, and then we're going to dive into our teaching together. Would you guys pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, Uh, We see that you save us in the scriptures. You always save us in order to send us. Uh, You don't save us just to make us religious and obey a bunch of rules. You save us to send us on mission, to share your love with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. Uh, And we believe that we want to be an obedient church, and we believe that there are people uh, in our city that you love and you desire to save, and we're the means by which you do that. So we want to obey you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, would you bring people to mind? Neighbors, friends, coworkers that are close to us but far from you. And we just pray Luke eleven o two for them, God, that your kingdom would come into their lives, that they would know your love, and that we would be the means by which you do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, we've got two weeks left in our summer teaching series called The Spirit in a Time of the Flesh. We've spent this summer studying through the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, going, man, what we want to do in the life of our church is we want to build kind of a rebellious counterculture to the broader culture of the flesh and the world. Whenever somebody enters into the church, they should experience life and relationships differently. And that's what we're studying in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I can't think of a more countercultural fruit in this list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit than our fruit today. It's the fruit of gentleness. Gentleness. And so today I want to talk to you about being a gentle people in a harsh world. Becoming a gentle person in a world that's marked by harshness and brutality. That's what we are diving into today. So I just want to kick us off with a question. Here's the question I would ask you. If I were to go uh, to three people that uh, were close to you, that knew you really well, kind of a spouse, roommate, best friend, college roommate, whatever it is, sibling, parent, if I were to go to like three people that knew you really well, and I were to ask them this question, what would they say? Hey, if you were to describe Corbin, Jared, Olivia's temperament, how would you describe their temperament? How would you describe them? How would somebody describe you if they were to describe you? A few years ago, the reason I thought of this question is because a few years ago I was working with a uh, a counselor coach who kind of tries to keep pastors sane all over the country. We were doing a Zoom call and he gave me me an assignment and he said, hey, here's an assignment I want you to do. I want you to go to a few people that know you really well. I want you to go to Allie, who's my wife. I want you to go to a couple people you work with, a couple close friends that have known you for a long time. And I want you to ask them this question. How do you experience me? Have any of you ever asked that question? How do you experience me? By the way, this is the this is the pathway to true self-awareness. You might think people experience you a certain way, but you ask them that question, it's a dangerous question. How do you experience me? And it hit me this week that like, as I was considering gentleness, I'm like, man, would anybody who knows me well use the adjective gentle to describe me? Would they say that I'm a gentle friend, a gentle man, gentleman, a gentle, you're welcome for that, that's free, a gentle coworker, a gentle boss, a gentle spouse, I'm just giving you what's, who I am, a gentle father, would they use this descriptor to describe me? What do you think people would say about you? Would anybody describe you as gentle? You know, one of the things you see in elderly people is that people only become one of two things. People, as they get old, either become angry, bitter, and brutal, or they become gentle, sweet, and tender. You know this from knowing elderly people. And the question I want to ask you today is what trajectory are you on? Gentle, sweet, and tender, or bitter, brutal, and harsh? I'll say this. If you're 25 and you're super cynical and mean, you got some work to do today, okay? You're on a bad trajectory. Now, here's why this is important. Here's why this is important to talk about, because according to Galatians 5, one of the evidences that you are walking with God, 
One of the evidences that the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you, which all people get when they repent of their sin and trust in Christ, is that day by day, year by year, you are becoming more gentle. How are you doing with gentleness? How are you doing with gentleness? This is Galatians uh, 5, 22 and 23. We've essentially spent our whole summer studying one, now moving into two verses, and I want to show you this. It says this right here, but the fruit of the Spirit... So the fruit that the Spirit of God is going to produce in your life when He gets a hold of your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And we've done a week on each of these. And today it says one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Gentleness. Fascinating. Just think back and think of the last time you experienced somebody being gentle with you. When was the last time somebody was gentle with you? Whenever you like, I don't know, screwed up or didn't kind of perform to the level that you expected of yourself or other people expected of you, and you came to them, and you, ex- and you kind of expected kind of like a harsh rebuke, and instead of harsh rebuke, you get like a gentle correction or a gentle... It's actually really shocking when somebody is gentle with you, and it's shocking because we live in a really harsh world where we are constantly via friends, via movies, via Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, however old you are, being berated for not being good enough. This is the world you live in. You are being berated. I am being berated for not being good enough, good-looking enough, smart enough, fast enough, slow enough, successful enough, creative enough, conservative enough, progressive enough. We're just berated, harshly berated for not being good enough, a world where we are constantly being attacked for being wrong. And it's like whenever you're wrong about something, somebody won't only attack you and make you feel stupid, but they'll attack your character. Have you noticed that? They'll go, you're not only wrong, you're cruel. And it's like we live in a harsh world. We live in environments of friendships where we're constantly making fun of each other and putting each other down. I don't know if you remember high school. One of the things I've noticed like, about being a 30-something-year-old man now is that like, a lot of my friends still do this. And it's brutal. And what happens is we walk through life in this exhausting way where it's like it feels like we have to be kind of like defensive and self-protective everywhere we go because every environment we enter into is brutal. We don't expect gentleness because we don't experience gentle environments. In fact, one of the things you see in Galatians chapter 5, right above the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is you see the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh. And one of the things I want to highlight for you very quickly is that, one, that when you pay attention to the fruits of the flesh, one of the things you see is that the fruits of the flesh are brutal and harsh. All of them are brutal and harsh. Just look at this. I'll highlight a few. We'll look at the ones that are uh, in, in bold. It says this. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. And let's just think about this first one. First one is sexual immorality. Now, whenever you hear sexual immorality, it's like, welcome to church. Oh, gosh, the first thing you hear, here we go. We're going to have the sex talk, bunch of prudes. But one of the things I want you to see about sexual immorality is sexual immorality is brutal. It's brutal. It's using, it's brutally using someone else's body for your sexual pleasure. Brutal. Now, nothing is more gentle than the biblical vision of sex. A gentle exchange between spouses. Nothing is more brutal than sexual immorality. If, in fact, if you engage in sexual immorality, 
And I'm not going to go a long time on this. If you engage in sexual immorality, what will it do? It will beat you up. It'll leave you emotionally bruised, physically bruised, spiritually bruised. Why? It's brutal. It's brutal. Let's look at a couple of, uh, of others. Let's look at uh, hatreds. It's like, man, you, you think about gentleness. One of the fruits of the flesh is hatred. It's like, let's be real. It's like if you have hatred in your heart to somebody, there is no way you are being gentle with them. You're going to be harsh, right? Then you got this list of three, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. The literal opposite of gentleness is the flesh, where you just burst out in anger at somebody because you can't take them anymore because you're angry at them. You're jealous of them, and you can't take them. Let's, go to, let's look at this last one, factions. There's nothing, here's a 2023 word for factions, clicks. It's like you got your little friend click, great, glad you have it. There's nothing more brutal than leaving other people out of your little relational thing. It's brutal. The fruit of the flesh is brutal. Whenever you and I walk in the flesh, we become brutal people. So here's what I'll say. If you get harsh, if you get triggered to get angry, if you start leaving people out, you know you are not walking in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're walking in the flesh. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to form us into people of gentleness and a church of gentleness, gentle people in a harsh world. So I want to talk to you about this at two levels. First, I want to talk about the shocking gentleness of Jesus, and we're going to look at how Jesus describes himself in here in just a second. But the second thing I want to do is I want to talk about shocking the world with our gentleness. And here's my thesis for today. Whenever you know the gentleness of Jesus, you will become a gentle person who can bear the fruit of gentleness. So the very first thing I want to talk to you about is this shocking gentleness of Jesus. Right up here on the stage, some of you can see them, uh, some of you can't. This is a public service announcement. We've got uh, about a hundred of these books called uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to just open this book up and read you the entire book for my sermon. Uh, but today I am going to give you about my 10 minutes of best takes from this book right here on the gentleness of Jesus. There's a hundred of them up here. I would love for them to disappear right after the service. They are for you. And what I would say is if you need to be non-gentle to get your copy, you go right ahead. You go right ahead. Uh, do, do you have this book right here? You don't have this book? It's all yours, dude. You, got, you get the first one, okay? I love it. So grab your book. Grab your book. You know, when it comes down to it, one of the things that I'm learning as a pastor and just as just kind of like a man trying to do life in this world is that life is hard for everybody. And I know that might be, sound like really basic, but it's like, man, life is really hard for everybody. All of us are just kind of struggling through life. And if I were to talk to you for more than five minutes, all of us are carrying something right now that is making life really hard. And most of the time we think that life is just hard for us, but the reality is we can just level the playing field and go, no, everybody's struggling with something. No one is doing as well as they project. And, and at one level or another, we're all just kind of barely making it. We're barely making it. And so most of us at a base level, when we sit alone, and we get quiet, and we get kind of like non-distracted, we feel some sort of mixture of discouraged, frustrated by life, weary and worn out, 
disenchanted because life hasn't gone the way we imagined it would go, cynical about life and empty, and we really want to be full. And then what happens is we come to God or we start thinking about God and Sometimes, and this is where we're just going to get really honest in here today, sometimes it doesn't make those feelings better, but it makes them worse. This is what you won't hear a lot of pastors say. What we want is we want hypey Christianity, that it's like if you're anxious, come to Jesus. You'll never feel anxious again, man. But it's like sometimes you're feeling that way, and you come to church, or you think about God, or you read your Bible, and you go, man, it didn't make it better, it made it worse. So I'll, I'll, I'll get specific three ways. Some of you have anxiety. I've had my own bouts with anxiety. I get it. And it's like you come to church and you tell somebody you're anxious and they say, it's okay, just like give it to Jesus and it'll be better. And you hear that and you're like, it actually isn't making it better. It's making my anxiety worse. Or they quote Philippians 4 to you, do not be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And they're like, let me just pray that over you. And then right when they're done praying for you, your anxiety doesn't diminish. The peace of God doesn't come. It actually, your anxiety increases. What do you do then? What do you do? About a year ago, I was wrestling with some anxiety. I would go read my Bible, and after reading my Bible, I would feel more anxious. Do you have a category for that? You should. Um, some of you are battling an addiction. We'll do addiction. Anxiety, addiction. Some of you are battling addiction. And you hear Jesus can help you with your addiction. And you pray and you walk in the light and you walk in some freedom for a while and then you go back into the addiction and it's like, what do you do when you're there? Is this whole Jesus thing like nothing? Some of you are cynical. You're just kind of natural. You have a bent to you where you're cynical about God, about the church, about pastors that wear Britney Spears microphones. <laughs> I get it. I thought about using a handheld, but now that's what the cool pastors do. Weird. Some of you are cynical of this whole thing, and you come to church or you read your Bible, and it only fuels your cynicism. It doesn't diminish it. It only fuels it, and you even feel that right now. Super anxious, super defeated in your addiction, super cynical. What do you do? And then you think about God, and you think about how God must think about you in that thing and you think there's no way God could love me. Not only there's no way God could love me, but here's where we really feel it. There's no way God could really like me. Surely not me. I did the thing again. I can't get rid of my anxiety. Maybe I'm not believing enough. I I just have this cynicism, but I can't get rid of the cynicism. Like, what do I do? And you feel like God's disappointed, angry, done, annoyed, out of patience. Have you ever felt like that? None of you want to, like, nod your head. 
Yeah, thank you. What do you do? Well, I think one of the things, I've got a couple thoughts. One of the things you do is you realize that this is what it's like to be a normal Christian. So, if you feel that way, you need somebody with a pop star microphone to tell you, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. You're not crazy if you can't get the anxiety to go away. You're not crazy if, you, if you're battling the addiction and it like, you're in the middle of the battle again. You're not crazy. So you need to know that. But number two, what we need is we need to come to the Bible and we need to allow God to speak and reframe how we imagine him to be. By the way, this is why every week here at the Heights we open up the scriptures. This is why we encourage you to open up the scriptures on your own every day because what we are prone to do is we are prone to carry around lies about who God is and what we need is we need the truth about who God is because the truth is shocking. And one of the places that Jesus reveals to us the shocking reality of who he is is in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus describes himself in a way most of us do not think about him, especially when we're anxious, especially when we're down, especially when we're battling sin, especially when we're battling addiction, especially when we're cynical. Look at what he says right here. This is Matthew 11, very famous, very famous passage. Jesus says this. Come to me, so he's inviting us, and even in this moment, he's inviting you. Come to me. Now notice this, in the next phrase, he's not inviting people who have their crap together. He's not inviting people who have been through the bottom of the dip and are on their way out of the emotional dip. He's inviting who? Well, all of you who are weary and burdened. So, what qualifies you to receive this invitation is not that you're religious, is not that you have your stuff together, it's that you are tired and you feel like you're carrying a heavy load. You feel that way? I feel that way. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and there's a promise, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. This is an invitation to be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus Christ. Let me teach you how to live. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because, here are the three words I want us to think about. I am gentle. You might know this passage, but do you believe it? I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher of the 19th century, points out that in all four Gospels, 89 chapters of the Bible, we only get one place where Jesus describes his own heart. His very, like, controlling center of who he is. His temperament. And it's right here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. And he says, if there's one thing I want you to know about my temperament, it's that I am gentle. Gentle. He doesn't say I'm powerful, though he is powerful. 
He doesn't say, I'm peeved. He says, man, I'm only going to talk about this once, but you need to know this about me. I'm very gentle. Dane Ortland, in this incredible book that you should grab, puts it this way. Meek, humble, gentle. We'll talk about this in a minute. All three words, the same word in the Greek New Testament. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, not reactionary, not easily exasperated. He's not that way. You and I think that he's that way. He's not that way. He's the most understanding person in the universe. I love this line. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger but open arms. This is who he is. If you will come. If you will come. Is that how you think about Jesus? If you're battling sin right now and addiction, is that how you think about Jesus? If you're exploring Jesus for the very first time and you're like, I might go to Alpha, I don't know. Do you know that this is the person who's prompting you right now? He's gently drawing you. Whenever you really think about it, this is absolutely life-altering information. (laughs) This right here. That this is what the King of Kings is like. That the way the king of kings, who rules over everything, describes himself is gentle. Just think about this. Jesus is the son of God. He is eternal. He's eternally existed in the past. Everything was created by the word of his power. He's powerful. Everything is sustained by the word of his power. He's omnipotent. All things are held together by him. Nothing is outside of his control. Nothing. And yet when he walked among us, his opponents, I don't know, they never got struck by lightning. He could have done that. He holds the lightning bolts in his hands. There's not a lightning bolt that strikes the earth that is not controlled by the sovereign son of God, Jesus Christ. And yet... When he walked among us, when somebody opposed him and said he was wrong, he didn't go, lightning bolt. I would have done the lightning bolt. <laughs> he, the scriptures say he holds the seas in his hands. The sea never flooded and washed away his enemies and then kind of like stopped at his feet and guarded his disciples. He didn't do that. He did that at the Red Sea. He didn't do that when he walked among us. Why? because he's gentle. Now, some of you are like, yeah, 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 but he's judgmental too, right? Right? Or is he not? Is he gentle or judgmental? Which one? Some of you know the answer. He's both. Actually, right above this, I don't have time to get into it. Read the book. (laughs) Earlier in Matthew 11, he says there is a judgment coming for those who will not come to me. But in Jesus Christ, there are what Jonathan Edwards calls this like coming together of these excellencies that we believe cannot be held together. Sam Albury puts it this way. I believe we have this quote. Part of the wonder is that Jesus is able to combine what we so easily separate. In our experience, those who are gentlest tend to lack strength and force when it is called for. So you, you, you and I perceive gentle people as weak people. We're going to talk about that. 
And while those who are strongest tend to lack the capacity for gentleness and restraint, but Jesus exemplifies perfect gentleness and awesome strength. No one is crushed by mistake. There is never any friendly fire or collateral damage. This is actually instructive to us, and we'll talk about this more in a minute. It shows us something about gentleness that's so important. Gentleness is not weakness. Jesus was not weak. He actually had more power in his pinky fingernail than the wealthiest person in the world or the most powerful national leader. Gentleness is not weakness. It's not passivity. It's not tolerance. And we know this because right above this in Matthew 11, like I mentioned, it says that Jesus is going to judge those that will not come to him and receive his gentleness. But gentleness is restrained strength leveraged for the good of others. We're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. It's the picture of a mother nursing her son, strong but restraining her strength to gently care for her son. It's the father who can bench press 300, cuddling his infant daughter to comfort her when she cries. I see a father doing that right now. Gentleness. Gentleness. Jesus is shockingly gentle. Do you believe that he's gentle? Not that he's gentle with other people, but do you believe that he's gentle with you? He is. And so, when we know this gentle Jesus, it produces the fruit of gentleness in us. And so, the second thing I want to talk to you about is simply shocking the world with our gentleness. When most people think of Christians, they think this. Take it down. There's some hateful words on there. That's why I did it quick. When most people think of Christians, they think of that. And it's your job and my job to change the perception of Christians in our city as we go out of this place into the world. And to do that, a couple things have to happen. Number one, people have to know that you're a follower of Jesus, where you work, where you live, where you play. They have to know that. But the second thing they have to see is that you are different than their common perception of followers of Jesus, that whenever they watch you, they go, I have no category for you. You're very different than what I imagined a Christian to be. And one of the ways we do that, change the perception, is by bearing the fruit of gentleness. So I want to get really practical here, and I want to answer two questions. First, what do we mean by gentle? What do we mean by gentle? What do we mean by gentleness? And second, how do we practice gentleness? So first, what do we mean by gentleness? Some of you, and let me, uh, I'll do a little gender stereotype here. Um, it's always safe for pastors to do gender stereotypes. I realize that <laughs> without holding my notes, I'll gender stereotype. Very safe thing I'm walking into. Uh, this is called walking out on the plank. Okay. Um, some of you men hear the fruit of gentleness and you say, I don't want to be that. Uh, because you have a vision of masculinity that has no category for gentleness where you're like, I want to be strong. Well, it's like, what if you can be both? We should talk about that. Others of you, done with the gender stereotype, others of you are like very driven in your career, let's say. Let's, do, let's apply this to vocation. And you're like, yeah, I get it, gentleness, but if I become gentle, how am I ever going to get ahead at work? Like, you don't understand my work environment. You're probably right. I, f I don't fully understand your work environment. This is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
So how am I supposed to get ahead? Jesus said this right here. This is a beatitude. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the humble, same word, gentle, meek. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. There's a promise there. The people that truly will get ahead, the people that will inherit everything in the new heavens and new earth, and actually this is a principle for today, the people that really get ahead are the gentle people. So what do we mean by gentleness? Well, the Bible scholar Jonathan Pennington defines it this way. Biblical gentleness is power under control. Let's go to the next slide here. Power under control. This is our working definition of gentleness. It's power under control. And he says that power under control means two things. First, it means refusal to inflate our own self-estimation, that we don't think too highly of ourselves. I'll explain these in just a second. And number two, it means reticence to assert ourselves for ourselves, okay? So here's what he's saying. Gentleness is power under control. And to do power, the power under control thing, to walk in gentleness, you gotta do a couple things. First, you gotta refuse to inflate your own self-estimation. In other words, you cannot be gentle if you think too highly of yourself. If you and I think too highly of ourselves, what will happen is we will walk around looking down on everybody else as if they are idiots. And if you think about somebody else that way, you will never be gentle with them. You never will. You can't. You'll be like, well, you're dumb. And I'm smart. <laughs> you can't do the gentleness thing if you think too highly of yourself. But second, it's reticence to assert ourselves for ourselves. What happens is we walk around with a ton of insecurity, all of us. And what our insecurity does is it makes us defensive. You guys ever, uh, ever experienced this? And I don't know. It's like we got the high school movie Mean Girls, so I imagine this happens in girls' circles, but then you get in a locker room in high school, and it's like there's so much insecure defensiveness, and here's what it looks like. It looks like, like just making fun of other people. And making fun of other people and putting other people down is the epitome of defensive insecurity. You're asserting yourself for yourself. You're just like creating this thing where everybody is below you. You can't do this and be gentle. gentle. Gentleness is power under control. Power under control. Harsh brutality is the evidence of defensive insecurity. But we get security in Christ. We know who we are. So we can walk around and we can be gentle people. I don't have to defend myself. I don't think you're stupid. In fact, I would be right there with you if it wasn't for the grace of God in my life. This is what it takes to be gentle. So gentleness is not to be a doormat. It's not to be weak. It's not to say that at times you can't be bold, honest, just, fair. But it's to wield the power that you have. And we all have power with gentle control. So this last Tuesday, this last Tuesday, I had the opportunity to go out with uh, our Lovewell, Lovewell ministry, which is our mercy and justice, one of our mercy and justice ministries that we have out of our church. And we, we went out the doors right here, we take a red wagon, we, uh, and we take some food to our unhoused neighbors right here along the Colfax corridor, and it was an amazing night. Like, I could talk about it for 20 minutes, how it just like really ministered to me, and these, these, these unhoused friends really ministered to me. And we were walking around, and we, we get down here about three blocks, me and a, a, couple of, uh, a couple of my friends that are members of our church, and we, uh, we're, we're talking with a, a group of people in one of the alleys back here, and one of the men is eating his pizza that we gave him, and uh, he finds out that I'm the pastor here, and he goes, hey man, uh, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I was like, well, 
I'm, uh, I'm teaching on gentleness. And uh, he goes, interesting. Give me your sermon. <laughs> I said, okay, well, essentially I'm talking about how Jesus is actually shockingly gentle with us. So when we know that Jesus, we can be and should be gentle with one another. And he goes, interesting. And he stood silently. And then he asks me, what do you think I should do if one of these people attack me? Now, this, for this guy, this is not a theoretical question. He's not sitting in like a master's level ethics class because we had about 20 feet away just watch, watched a woman having a really hard time strung out on drugs take a metal pipe and hit another man in the throat. We had just, like all of this had just happened. He's asking me, Oh, you're preaching on gentleness. Cool, man. What do I do if that woman attacks me? Let me just ask you a question. What would you have said? What would you have said? I didn't know what to say. So you know what I did? I said, well, what do you think you should do? (laughs) And he said, listen, he said the most profound thing. He said, I mean, I genuinely think this guy's like walking with Jesus. He goes, yeah, I don't think I should attack them because it would just lead to more pain. And I was like, that right there is gentleness. He gets it. Power under control. I have the power to do that. Should I do that? I probably shouldn't because it's just gonna lead to more pain. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And what this does is it... I'm preaching to mostly Americans. I imagine most of you are Americans. And even though we live and do life in a very progressive city, we have this like, kind of like American DNA of like self-defense to us. We have the Second Amendment in our country. And I'm not saying anything about the Second Amendment right and wrong, but we have that. And it's kind of produced a DNA in us. We have Toby Keith singing about America, you know? And you're like, I kind of like that, you know? <laughs> But then it's like, most of us don't think a whole lot about like the whole non-retaliation thing. And guys, I'm just saying, uh, I'm standing in front of you and I'm going, I have no idea what to do with this, but look what Jesus says right here. Matthew 5, 38 through 39. 2024, I'm gonna teach through the Sermon on the Mount, so we'll, we'll figure it out then. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. These are the words of Jesus, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Gentleness. Gentle people in a harsh world. So many of you have so many questions about how to do that, and I just want to say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. To become a person who's gentle, who's non-combative, anti-contrarian, to be a contrarian is not only annoying, it's harsh. Not easily offended, warm, kind, hospitable, safe, strong, but leveraging your strength toward compassion. Final question here, how do I practice gentleness? How do I practice gentleness? Gentleness is all over the New Testament, and what I wanna do here is I wanna get really practical, and I wanna give you five places, relationships, moments, um, spaces when God commands gentleness of us. Number one is this, sharing your faith with non-Christians. Paul says this in uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 2.7. He's talking about when he planted the church in Thessalonica and how he did evangelism among the Thessalonians, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were 
gentle among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children. So as you go out, share your faith. We're gentle in the way we do it. We don't shove it down people's throats. This is what Alpha is. It's a gentle environment for people to come and explore faith in Jesus Christ. The second place, the second place that we uh, are called to practice gentleness is restoring someone in sin. Restoring someone in sin. Uh, Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. There's the humility part of gentleness. You can't stand over somebody and be like, you idiot. You go, no, I could be there too. I could be there too. So I'm going to be gentle. Some of us need to have some gentle conversations with our friends here in the life of our church this week where you see them in sin that's going to harm them and you go to them and say, I'm doing this gently, but I got to point this out. I gotta point this out. The third space right here is defending the faith. Some of us, whenever it comes to defending the faith, we love apologetics, we love theology, and we get really like passionate about it and mean, but look at how Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about defending the faith. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, he's gonna repeat that twice, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Defending the faith. Number four is leading in the church. Many of you are uh, leading community groups. You're leading on the serve teams that you serve on. And right here, Paul gives a word on how to lead in the church. It says this, but you, man of God, and you could say, well, you could put woman of God right there. Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. What would it look like as a community group leader for you to create a gentle environment? Because we have a gentle king. Finally, is friendship in the church. It's so easy to get annoyed with each other when you do life together, to disagree with decisions we make, but we get multiple places in the New Testament where we're commanded to be gentle with the people that we, that we do church and we do life with. Look right here. I'll give you a couple of examples and then I'm going to pray. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then this passage right here. Let's go to the next one. Colossians 3, 12, 13. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Jesus has been gentle with you. Let's be gentle with one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a gentle king. Um, that whenever we're broken, whenever we're in sin, you don't give us a harsh rebuke. You give us a gentle invitation. And so some of us today need to come to you. We need to receive the invitation of Matthew 11 for the first time or for the thousandth time. And we need to let our burdens down before you, lay our weary selves before you and say, I need you. I need you to give me strength. I need you to produce the fruit of gentleness in me. And then God, we wanna walk in repentance where we've been harsh, where we've been brutal. We wanna repent and we wanna bear the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.